the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studio. Proud to be so, uh, and proud to do so. 602-508-0960 is the number. Uh, as uh, we were reminded in the Nuremberg uh, trials by Robert Jackson, uh, one of my favorite Supreme Court justices, we invoke him often. He was the lead prosecutor. Um he begged of his widow, he reminds us from Shakespeare, say I slew them not. And the queen replied, then say they were not slain, but dead they are. Yeah, you can um, deny a lot of what we've been talking to you about with regard to COVID and the stra- mitigation strategies and efforts, the use and abuse of children. How did Hannah Arendt put it? She said, she asked long ago, if we have now come to the point where it is the children who are being asked to change or improve the world, where we intend them to fight our political battles in their schoolyards. I want to read you from The Spectator um, a very, very, very sobering very sobering analysis of what's going on in this country with regard to children and COVID. And uh, as I always do, I'll go to calls first. So before I do that, let me first go to Peter in Mesa. Hello, Peter. Hello, Seth. How are you today? I'm doing just great. How are you, sir? Uh, I am doing well. I really enjoyed that interview with the young lady who will be running. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, Shauna Bullock, B-O-L-I-C-K, Shauna Bullock. I I will be visiting her website and following up with her. Please do. Yeah. Seth, I called because I wanted to to, um, present some ideas of why um, Joey, uh, of course Joe Biden, uh, believes he has achieved much in his first year. Okay. And it's a number of different points, but I think they all add up to the same thing. And with the goal of breaking the spirit of America and getting more Americans to surrender to the pressure of socialism Mm. and the idea of a one world order. Mm. Uh, The first of those was the the fact that Trump handed him basically a turnkey country. Just keep doing what he was doing. That's a very good point. Yeah. And the first thing he said is, we're going to break that. Yep. And he, he sure has. Uh, he has weakened us militarily and strength-wise, and even mentally in the military with these uh, woke generals, mm-hmm. and as well as a ridiculous excuse and abandonment of the Afghanistan yep. plan. Yep. 
and leaving people behind. That is such a stain in America as well as on America. It's on the hearts of all of us who love this country. Peter, I want to pause you there and just point out one one thing about that. You know how fascinated I am with the studies and learning from history. People forget. It sounds it sounds like you might not be one of them, but a lot of people forget, especially if they're under the age of, uh, I don't know, 50, 55, somewhere around there. People mm-hmm. forget how devastating our exit from Vietnam in 1975 was, not only on the morale of the military here, not only on the morale of our American people, which, of course, is always the first concern, those two audiences, but also our allies across the world. People forget what was known as the Vietnam Syndrome, and it was no better um, encapsulated than what and the way we left in 1975, and this administration promising us this would not be that when it was exactly that. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. I am at the age where I remember yeah. that I, I was not fit for military service, although uh, in the last round of draft, my number had come up 12. Ah, okay. And I thought for sure, well, here I go. Uh, but sure <laughs> enough, yeah. uh, it faded right after that, and I was, but as it turns out, when they checked me out, I was totally unfit physically for service, and I'm amazed I've lived this long. On that terrible day, President Gerald Ford said, today is not the day for recriminations, and Ronald Reagan responded, when better? Yes. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead, Peter. Continue on. All right. My second point that I wanted to get to is that Joe Biden has wasted so many resources with the giveaways and getting people to um, become uh, more dependent on government, Mm -hmm. less dependent on themselves. And this is the difference uh, that's fundamental. People understand, but it's not often stated, how socialism, communism is about a collective as opposed to the free enterprise um, constitutional republic that we have is based on the individual. Yeah, if you want to understand why there is so much animus against the notion of sovereignty, much less individual rights. If you want to understand that, look at the alternative. That's the al- you, you just said it, Peter, beautifully, yeah. better than I did. Uh, I just wanted to underscore it. Yeah, the collective, you bet. Now, another thing that Biden has pushed and introduced these ideas, and this is the way I've seen the left do it over years of just observing the insanity. Uh, they'll push something out there that is so egregious then they pull back, and then they get a little bit. They take a little bit of ground. Then they push something else even more egregious, and then they settle back a little less ground. Well, I mean, a little more ground is lost mm-hmm. to this socialist push. It's not the dom- it is like a domino theory, but just in, in a creeping, uh, like a creeping illness that eventually overtakes the host. Yeah. Um, and what he but by and a great example is this when they put forward that Secretary of Treasury who wanted to I, the idea of eliminating all bank accounts eliminate the oh bank the controller of the, the currency that's right that's right the yeah. controller of the currency yeah I think we were the only ra- I think we were the I'm, I I know we were the first radio show in the country to publicize that I don't know how many more picked up on it but it was one of our finest moments bringing the bankers in here to uh, publicize to the country what was going on there. Yeah. That is so absolutely insane yep. 
the, that idea, and that's, of course, a global currency, mm-hmm. which George Soros would absolutely love to have, um, and as well as all the other elite globalists. And this is part, this is stated, uh, I'm, I'm trying to say, I can't remember, this is part of the aging process for me, I can't remember all the names of the people who had just recently met these globalists and how they're talking about Oh, I about don't the- care and I don't know, but I know it was all written about in the 19th century. I, yeah. I mean, you, don't, you don't have to go to yesterday. Karl Marx wrote it out pretty well, and it was followed <laughs> up pretty, uh, pretty awfully by too many people who didn't think it was a threat. And yeah. I have to tell you, as an indictment uh, on America, not just liberalism, but American conservatism as well, who after 1989 did not take seriously the threat of that very same viewpoint just because it ended in what was then the Soviet Union and in places like Germany. It did end mm-hmm. there for a while, of course, but it was alive and thriving here. As I said, we pushed down one end of the balloon, but it expanded the other. Yeah. Um, that woman he proposed as a Secretary of Treasury. Yeah. And what a thing. That's one of those... Control of the currency. Pushes. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. People were repulsed. But now they're going to do something with as they carve up this bill. They knew it was going to fail, but they're going to carve it up and sneak little things into this. Everybody in Congress, every conservative in Congress needs to be so uh, keenly aware of what's in every one of those little chunks they're going to be pulling out. Because they're going to put little things in all these to try and get this thing done in a way that uh, it almost seems innocuous to the the people it's being done to, like, oh, that's okay just this one time. And it's okay here, and it's like the child who cries a little bit, and you let him go, cries a little more, you give him what he wants. And it's just a bad scene that we're facing. It's a very ugly scene. Yep. And and the last point I want to make about Joey uh, is his immediate, immediate push to make us energy dependent. Uh, on the world, yeah, uh, for what we, for our needs when we became a supplier. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Donald Trump did was simply, in many people's minds, a miracle. Yeah, but I I knew that was more than possible because I knew people in Texas who were telling me these oil fields are recreating themselves. Yep, if you pump them too quick, you run them out. But the earth is making the oil. Yep. Yep. And what the, what the Green New Deal people don't realize is that if you don't get that oil out from under the oceans, it's going to leak up into the oceans. No, you, you, you tied together an awful lot, Peter. You did, and, um, and thank you for it. I appreciate it. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Little Arizona sound for you right there. Here's another one. Gary in Phoenix, welcome to the show. Hello, Gary. Hi. Hey, Seth, I was just wondering if you are familiar with the movie being there oh yeah well i i've never i've never seen the movie but i read the book probably three or four times by jersey kaczynski you bet peter sellers in the movie right yep yes but in the movie peter sellers character reminds me so much of joe biden today (laughs) now the joe biden of the past but the joe biden today it just seems like all he has is cliches and people find him to be highly intelligent just uttering cliches, which is what Chelsea Gardner ended up as uh, once the old man died. Yeah, the book ends with him becoming president. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Discussing because of of his wisdom 
uh, from the platitudes about gardening, right? That to Chance Gardner, he was named Chance. Uh, about gardens yeah. and, yeah. and every, all yeah. of his, his education came from the television. Yeah, that's right. That's Everything right. Everything he knew was from TV. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's a good comparison. L- let, me, let me say something about um, something <laughs> here, if I can, for a second. Uh, Joe Biden yesterday, President Biden yesterday in his press conference said at least twice by my count, clearly he was trying to communicate this. He said it in the way you kind of know it's something you're supposed to say. It's something he was, you know, drilled to say or it may have been his idea, but it was clear he wanted to communicate. He's going to be out in the country, touring across the country, delivering the message, communicating. And I and I thought this weird on two fronts. The second front became evident to me today, but I thought it weird on the first front yesterday when I thought, is it does he really think he needs to go the way Ronald Reagan did and the way Donald Trump attempted? Does he really think he needs to go above the heads and over the heads of the media to communicate directly to the American people? Because he has had that. He has had that gift uh, for uh, given to him by the corporate media. For the past uh, at least two years. So I thought it was odd then. But then the second part hit me today when I was watching some of the uh, morning shows. I don't typically, uh, but I watched a couple this morning and, and, and I saw some last night. And Savannah Guthrie on NBC gave Kamala Harris a particularly hard time. And Jake Tapper of CNN gave Kamala Harris a particularly hard time. And the natural thing a lot of commentators will do is say things like, well, when you've lost CNN or when you've lost Savannah Guthrie or you've lost NBC, you know, you've you've heard variations on that theme. And I want to raise a cautionary uh, flag here, a cautionary uh, uh, asterisk to that to that possible notion that many may have. They haven't lost CNN and they haven't lost NBC or Savannah Guthrie and they haven't lost The Washington Post. Uh, under uh, There's a principle at play here that we should be familiar with. We conservatives should be particularly familiar with. Um, it's, it's the abandonment and the problem you have when you are let down by your own side. We, we are very – out front on this as conservatives, aren't we? We're very, we're very strong on holding uh, our people to the, the their feet to the fire, right? Go back, what was it, about a week or so ago, Bill, when there was this consternation uh, having to do with Ted Cruz and his use of the word uh, terrorist. Was it about two weeks ago, maybe? Maybe almost exactly two weeks ago? And so much of the conservative movement, you know, had been so angry at him and uh, and, you know, wanting to, you know, Hold him accountable for that. And we've done this with other uh, politicians on our side. Boy, I remember actually 1982, second year of the Reagan presidency, Norman Podhoritz had a 16-page article, opinion essay in the New York Times on how Reagan had already abandoned conservatism because of things he was saying about the Soviet Union in the way that only Norman Podhoritz could do. But – you take the point, I hope, you take the point that we, 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 we are very hard on our own. We're harder, in fact, sometimes on our own than we are on the opposition when they let us down. So I think, I think it's important that that's how we see 
today's Jake Tapper versus Kamala Harris or today's Savannah Guthrie versus the Biden administration and Kamala Harris or Wolf Blitzer when they're up against when they're when they're when they're finally doing the job, frankly, they should have been doing for two years when they which is what is that job? Here's that job treating Joe Biden and the side you're rooting for as a journalist half half as hard as you did the Republican Party and Donald Trump. That's all we're at. Just do half. Do half. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're, they're, they, they had one day of it, uh, uh, which was last night and today. It'll, it'll, it'll be surprising to me if it lasts for more than 48 hours. But that's what this is. That's what this is. It is the media upset with their own team because their own team has let them down. How has it let them down? It has let them down by, by first and foremost, the thing media love. The media love polls. They love polls. They commission them. They live and die by polling data because that's the first way they cover politics. So, of course, when they see 33% approval of their guy and their gal, that's the first thing that's upsetting to them. So they're going to be angry about the messaging. And you'll notice that that's really the first thing that Kamala Harris and Rochelle Walensky uh, did uh, after. Well, even more so than Joe Biden, they represent and Jen Psaki, I suppose, too. But outside of Jen Psaki, uh, accountable officers, uh, officials in the White House, uh, Kamala Harris and Rochelle Walensky, they're probably the face of this administration more so than any other. Right. Who who else from the administration gets more face time? Parentheses. Given the pipeline problem, given the transportation problem, given the delivery of supplies problem, uh, given the, uh, all of which is supply chain, given the cancellation of flights problem, where in the heck has the Secretary of Transportation been? He's long past his three-month paternity leave. Isn't it a little odd? I mean, I'm not begging for it. I don't need to hear from Pete Buttigieg. But it's a little odd. You take my point, though. The face of this administration, really more airtime than anyone else, is Kamala Harris and Rochelle Walensky. Kamala because they think she is a quicker wit than Joe Biden and obviously all the proscenium that attends to her that we heard about with her being such a hero and, uh, and role model for people. And Rochelle Walensky, obviously, because head of CDC and COVID. And what is the first thing they did when they saw their numbers going down and people having doubts and questions about them, what did they do? They hired image consultants. That's what they did. They think it's a messaging problem as the media's first inclination to blame them for bad messaging. They think it's a messaging problem. It ain't. It's a merits problem. We'll talk more about it when we come right back. Oh, should we have a little fun, Bill? Are we in? Are we in the mood for just a little fun? All right. Do me the. Um, give me a little bit of that Q and A uh, from yesterday's press conference. I, I just think this is an amazing thing, and it wasn't picked up by a lot of people for obvious reasons. Uh, give me that question on school closings and President Biden's answer from yesterday, and then tell me if it doesn't. Yeah, you you know what we're going to do. Go ahead. Could school reopenings? or closures become a potent midterm issue for Republicans to win back the suburbs? Oh, I think it could be, but I hope in God that they're, uh, that, look, 
Maybe I'm kidding myself. But as time goes on, the voter who is just trying to figure out, as I said, how to take care of their family, put three squares on the table. This is a question about school closures. Pay their mortgage or their rent, et cetera. Uh, Is becoming much more informed on the um, the motives of um, some of the political players and some of the And the political parties. And I think that they are not going to be as susceptible to believing some of the outlandish things that have been said and continue to be said. You know, every every president, not necessarily in the first 12 months, but every president in the first couple of years, most every president, excuse me, of the last presidents, at least four of them, have had polling numbers that are 44 percent favorable. So it's this idea that, but you all, not you all, but now it is, well, Biden's at one poll showed him at 33 percent. The average is 44, 45 percent. One poll him at 49 percent. One poll him at 49 percent. He knows he's Biden, right? um, This is a question about school closings. Keep going. Keep going. The American public are trying to sift their way through what's real and what's and what's fake. And I don't think as uh, I've never seen a time when the political coverage, the, the choice of what political coverage the voter looks to has as much impact on as what they believe. This the goes on and on, and I will spare you the punishment. I will spare you the punishment. This was a question about school closings. Okay, and if you can divine or discern what he said there, I was in my first hour, I said it reminded me of nothing so much as the wisdom of uh, of Gabby Johnson. For those of you that don't remember Gabby Johnson, Bill, uh, uh, do we by chance have that ready? This is what it reminded me of. Are you pass? Can I say the winner? There's no way that nobody's gonna leave this town. Hell, I was born here, and I was raised here, and that gun, I'm gonna die here. And no sidewinding, bushwhacking, horn swoggling, crocker crocker is gonna roll away, pussy cutter. Yeah, that was actually a little more discernible than what John, uh, than what Joe Biden said. And, of course, you remember what Olson Johnson said after Gabby Johnson uh, spoke. He said, now, who can argue with that? I think we're all indebted to Gabby Johnson for clearly stating what needed to be said. I'm particularly glad that these lovely children were here today to hear that speech. It was authentic frontier gibberish, and it expressed a courage little seen in this day and age. Have we reached that point where the burlesque and the comedy of Blazing Saddles has been uh, has been has been imported into the Oval Office. Have we reached that point? I mean, I, I, I well understand the problems with our allies and Russia and what he said yesterday that had everyone in the national security apparatus here, as well as in every other country, friend and foe alike, by the way, is hair on fire. I get that. I get that. I do. 
But are we just going to pass over, pass over the fact that when he gets on stage, when he talks to the world and the American people, we are listening to some kind of worse frontier gibberish? It's not even the level of frontier gibberish. Gabby Johnson was more articulate than Uncle Joe Stalin. Oh, that's interesting. For the man, from the man, Bill, who has nothing but disdain for my bumper music choice, I saw you bopping and weaving your head to that Belinda Carlisle right there. That was more a, yes, we're back on. Well, oh, really? Is that what that was? As if it's some surprise that we're back on at 544 in the afternoon, like that's some novelty? Wow, it's 544 already. (laughs) Okay. You've heard me, folks, a lot today. Um... Mention, make mention of the, of, of the problem that when we were celebrating the collapse of communism abroad, 89 and 90, we totally neglected its uh, poignancy and growth in other places, namely uh, from California to New York in our universities. And I've never seen a better write-up of it, of that problem than I did from the estimable P.J. O'Rourke. He was in Berlin, and he noticed what was taking place. How could he not? He was there for it. And he saw some students taking pieces of the wall to collect them and sell them. And he writes, The East German border guards didn't interfere. Instead, they came up to openings in the wall and made V signs, victory signs, and posed for photographs. One of them even stuck his hand through and asked, would somebody please give him a piece of the concrete to keep as a souvenir? The hand of that border guard, that disembodied palm up, begging hand. I looked at that and I began to cry, P.G. O'Rourke writes. I really didn't understand before that moment. I didn't realize until just then we won. The free world won the Cold War. The fight against life-hating, soul-denying, slavish communism, which has shaped the world's politics this whole wretched century, was over. The tears of victory ran down my face. I was blubbering like a lottery winner. All the people who had been sent to gulags, who'd been crushed in the streets of Budapest, Prague, and Warsaw, the soldiers who died in Korea, and my friends and classmates who had been killed in Vietnam, it meant something now. All the treasure that we in America had poured into guns, planes, Star Wars, and all the terrifying A-bombs we'd had to build and keep, it wasn't for nothing. And I didn't get it until just then when I saw that border guard's hand. And I think there are a lot of people who haven't gotten it yet. This was in 1989. Our own President Bush seems to regard, this was George H.W. Bush, our own President Bush seems to regard the events in Eastern Europe as some kind of odd dance craze or something. When I got back to the United States, I was looking through the magazines and newspapers, and it seemed that all I saw were editorial writers pulling long faces about whither a united Germany and whence America's adjustments to the new realities in Europe. 
And I thought, is that the kind of noise people were making in Times Square on VE Day? I say, shut up, you egghead flap gums. We've got the whole rest of history to sweat the small stuff. And those discredited peace creeps, they can zip their soup coolers, too. They think Mikhail Gorbachev is a visionary? Yeah, he's a visionary like Hirohito was after Nagasaki. We won. And let's not anybody forget it. We, the people, the free and equal citizens of democracies, we living exemplars of the rights of man tore a new you-know-what in international communism. Their wall is breached. Their gut string is busted. The rot of their dead body politic fills the nostrils of the earth with a glorious stink we cleaned the clock of marxism we mopped the floor with them we ran the reds through the ringer and hung them out to dry the privileges of liberty and the sanctity of the individual went out and whipped butt and the best thing about our victory is the way we did it not just with icbms and green berets and aid to the conscious those things were important but in the end we beat, them, we beat them with Levi 501 genes. 72 years of communist indoctrination and propaganda was drowned out by a three-ounce Sony Walkman, a huge totalitarian system with all its tanks and guns, gulag comps, and secret police had been brought to its knees because nobody wants to wear Bulgarian shoes. They may have had the soldiers and the warheads and the fine-sounding ideology that suckered the college students and nitwit third-worlders, but we had the freedom and the fun, and now they're lunch, and we're number one on the planet. But the problem, the problem was the smart people in this country. The smart people in this country were wringing their hands and pulling long faces about whether a united Germany and once America's adjustments to the new realities in Europe and ignoring the professors who had studied this forever and ignoring the warnings of the William F. Buckleys and the Harry V. Jaffas and the Walter Burnses and the Alan Blooms, that, yeah, it's over over there. It's over over there. But it's an ideology, not a country. And ideologies aren't confined to countries. And while you're all dancing, and it's good that we're dancing about this one moment, in the long run and for the long haul, have we truly come to terms with that ideology? Because here in America, not only was it strong on the college campuses, it was growing stronger and stronger and stronger. How many of you in alive in those days remember college courses? I do, taught by teachers Titles like Understanding the Russians or Understanding the Soviets and kind of trying to realize what it was that animated them, divorcing Marxism from all of it, but trying to put them on par as if they were in the shoes of the United States. And how many people in the United States were coming, becoming ever more fascinated with these teachers and ever more fascinated with this notion of Marxism that we saw in so many guises. We saw it in the revolutionary antics of the late 1960s and early 70s, the Weather Underground and the Black Panthers and the new left. We saw it all there. And the difference between the Democratic Party of today and the Democratic Party of then is the Democratic Party then wanted nothing to do with it. 
your Hubert Humphreys, your Walter Manda- Mondales, your Sergeant Sh- They wanted nothing to do with it. That was Leonard Bernstein's stuff. They had no affinity for it. The Democratic Party today bails them out of jail and looks for money to help give them funds so that they can operate even further and stronger. Yeah, we were celebrating it there for about a month abroad, but that ideology grew stronger and stronger here. Just remember, folks, just remember, we used to have one socialist member of Congress. We now have at least seven. For those of you that don't subscribe to Hillsdale's Imprimus, uh, please do. And for those of you that have received um, the current issue with Larry Arnn's uh, essay in it, uh, please read it. I, this is not a paid endorsement. I, they don't endorse us, although I endorse them. <laughs> um, but I wanted to close with something Larry said in this recent essay that I think is pertinent to what I was saying. You think about what communism, what Marxism stands for. It's always in the name of the people, isn't it? It's interesting that it's always in the name of the people. But then it ends up being only a select few people that get to tell the rest of the people what to do in their name. Um, It should not be surprising, Larry writes, that if you try to destroy the business of a man whose family has spent over 30 years building it, he will resist. The word nature refers to a thing's essence, but it comes from the Latin word for birth. Think of the word generation or generate. Our nature begins with how we are born and how we grow. Just as we are attached by nature to the way we get our, earn our livings, so are we attached by nature to our parents and still more to our children. We have our rights because we were born with them, sown by God into our nature, and we cannot find our earthly fulfillment without them. If we put that together as a people, that understanding together as a people, will have recovered the understanding that produced the American Revolution, not the Russian Revolution, the American Revolution. And we will stop the current predations upon our rights. And we will bring this overwhelming government back where it belongs, under the control of the people, for the people, by the people, of the people, not the kind of people-based governments that Marx spoke of, but the kind our founders and Lincoln did. Recover that, you recover everything. Lose that, and you lose everything. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.